Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. Welcome to another edition of the Media Insider podcast. This month, I'm joined by Punta van der Hayden. She's a freelance journalist who has commissioned and written for many national news and features desks. She's also founded her own true life platform called Lacuna Voices, which is aimed at giving a voice to those who may be overlooked in the mainstream media. Punta, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm sure you've got loads of information about what makes a story and how to pitch, which we're going to tap into throughout this episode. Um, And I also want to hear a little bit more about Lacuna Voices as well. But first, can you give me an overview of the publications that you've commissioned or written for, uh, the the genre that you write for and any regular slots? Yeah, so I've um, been a true life journalist the whole time that I've been a journalist and it's always been for the national press. So the newspapers and the women's magazines, um, my own interest has always been women's mag. So I've done a lot for that. And I was on staff as commissioning editor for Take a Break magazine for many years. So Women's Weekly. And then I was um, acting features editor across the True Life Hub at TI Media. So that would have been chat, pick me up, woman, woman's own. Yeah, so now I write for a lot of titles that I really love, like the Metro online. I like doing stuff for them. Take a break. I still write a lot for. I sell a lot of stories still to them and chat and woman, woman's own. Well, we'll talk about all these. And just so that the listeners know, when you say you specialize in real life stories, that's interviewing other people about their stories and then either, I suppose, writing it in first person in their voice or doing it as an interview. Yes, exactly. So it would just depend where it was being featured, the format, but I would always do do the interview with a case study and then place their story. If it's in a women's mag, it's usually first person. If it's in a newspaper, it's normally told in the third person with quotes, but the process is much the same. It's just the write-up that might differ. And often I'll place my stories multiple times. So you might see it in a newspaper first and then a couple of mags. So, And tell us a little bit about Lacuna Voices. Why you started that? Who's it for? What sort of things are done on that site? It actually came to be last year, although it didn't go live till April this year, but I've been working on it for a while. And I just found that after many, many years of commissioning and writing and finding stories and selling stories, there was a lot of very worthy tales that just were not finding a home. There were certain types of archaic commissioning or news rules and structures that the mainstream media work in. And I just feel that now in this digital age, some of those rules don't really feel relevant anymore. Like the fact that, you know, an interviewee has to be from the UK to be in a UK newspaper. Mm. I just feel it's irrelevant. People read their news online from anywhere in the world. So I wanted a space where beautiful stories, worthy topics and people who might not be able to tell their story elsewhere because of these particular rules, like if they wanted to be anonymous and therefore they're just being counted out you know most editors want people to be identified and I just find that actually readers don't care yeah they don't care if the story is anonymous they just want to see a good story and read a good story so 
yeah, I started Lacuna Voices with the main aim of being a non-sensationalist and ethical digital true life platform so that people can come to Lacuna and say, I've got this story to tell. I'm a bit frightened to tell it, but I trust Lacuna to tell it. And that is actually what's happening. So what sort of stories do they tend to be? So the sections across the website, um, the stories all fall under um, family, careers, health, world. And there's a a special section for Lacuna men because I feel like men are underrepresented in true life because even though all the say the women's weeklies their readership is majority female but about 20 percent of it is for is is men picking up the mag and reading it Mm -hmm. so that I don't think you see enough male true life and now in this day and age when you know everybody's kind of saying it's okay for men to talk and share and be emotional and share their journeys there's actually no home for it that's so true isn't it the preference is really you know the editor wants the mother the sister, the wife, where, where can men tell their stories? And actually, we've had a really good set of very moving features told in a man's voice, their journey that actually you probably wouldn't see anywhere else. That's interesting. And it's funny, you know, as a PR, it's quite refreshing to hear that because I'm always telling my clients that things have to follow a formula and they don't always want to hear that and I don't always agree with that formula but that is the way the media works if you want to get something into the media it has to suit their style exactly and I think that formula is something that a lot of freelancers have responded to because they have they have these beautiful amazing inspiring stories but because of this formula as you say in the mainstream media they're just going untold you know they're they're, they're men they want to be anonymous um also, often news editors, I'm sure you get this all the time, will say, well, what's what's the news angle? Lacuna Voices doesn't need a news angle. It just needs a topic that's mm. worthy of hearing and that the audience will want to hear, will want to read about. So topics that affect loads of people, or even if it's just a minority of people, if it's a rare, say, health condition, it still has an audience. So that's what we want to hear about. Yeah. And what's your readership of Lacuna Voices? So it seems to be at the moment, because we only launched in April, I kind of hypothesized that it would follow the Women's Weekly audience. And it has. It's actually about 80% women, about 20% men. The majority are in the UK. There are probably about 15% world, you know, elsewhere, um, US or quite a lot in in kind of Middle East, actually, and uh, in the Far East. Do you have figures on the number of uh, website views or number of visitors? Yes. So we only launched in April, but it's in the tens of thousands a month um, kind of coming to us, which for a new platform, I think is pretty promising. But, you know, let's let's see if that's honeymoon phase or if that's going to stick with. But it kind of seems that our readership are very involved and they're quite loyal. So our social media following is growing, but it's growing organically. And And talk us through the commissioning of it. So is it just you? Do you have a team? How do you manage the pitches? How many people pitch to you? How do you plan? Talk us through all that. Sure. So um, it is just me. I do have help from freelancers that I kind of pay to help me when I need it but effectively I'm commissioning editing laying it all out I designed the website did it all myself so kind of a one-woman band but because I've done the whole process on staff I kind of feel well equipped to do it so the commissioning process for me is I I want to commission topics and they have to be told in the first person so whether it's the journalist themselves who's been through something and they want to share their story that's fine or if they've got a case study then that's fine too but I do get 
depending on what, what day of the week it is and if I've been featured on something, I would say an average 50 pictures a day. I mean, in comparison to when I was on the desk at, say, Take a Break, that was like up to 300 pictures a day. Wow. It was quite busy. Wow. <laughs> it was quite constant. And who were those pictures from? Are they individuals? Do you get pictures from PRs? Um, not so many PRs. Um, I get more pictures from PRs for my own freelance work for VT features. Okay. I get loads of those a day and I will just consider it for Lacuna Voices as well if I feel like it's fit. But at the moment, it's freelancers who are pitching me from all over the world, actually. so Interesting. And do you pay your freelance writers? Yeah, everyone gets paid and they get paid on public on um su- sorry, on submission of copy, not publication, which is one of our core values for Lacuna Voices. I will never ever withhold payment from a freelancer because I think it's completely unethical. If they've done the work and we've commissioned it, then we're going to pay for it. And if we sit on it for 6 months, that's our problem. If we delay it for too long and then the interviewee pulls out, that's our problem. If we change our mind, it's our problem. Freelancer has done the work and they're going to get paid. Oh, yeah. Now, that, that's the subject of a whole other podcast. Well, this is why I switched from journalism to PR yeah. for many reasons like that one. Uh, but yeah, a different yeah. podcast, that one. So on the subject of pitching, I mean, that's a brilliant mm-hmm. overview of uh, Lacuna Voices. Perhaps you can talk a bit more generally as well about some of the other more well-known titles that you've worked yeah. at and just how that commissioning process works. So you've worked on print as well as digital. What are the patterns for both? So I spent quite a long time commissioning on on staff and it was always a matter of need. So we would categorize every story that we bought by topic. So it would be, um, you know, weight loss jolly family it might be categorized under health or cancer so whenever we were commissioning we would look at or I would look at how many of this do we already have in stock if we've got loads and it's a story that is just kind of the same more of the same then we would say no unless we really loved it if there was a particular picture that we could see on the cover if there was a line that we thought made a cover line and also flat planning I did all the flat planning for the mag so I would be working on maybe 10 to 12 flat plans at a time. Even though we were a weekly title, we did plan quite far in advance. So if I had a particular gap in, say, an issue that was going to print in a couple of weeks because something had fallen out and we didn't have something in stock, then my priority would be to fill those gaps. So it was very much a matter of need and stock. But always we wanted, in terms of content, true life that really moved us whether it made us laugh or cry or Mm. feel really inspired so for us it was very much the emotion that drove the commissioning yeah and what about digital publications because I think the commissioning and the planning process is completely different isn't it it is because their need is so right now so they are very much reactive to the news cycle and and features reactive features actually um the stuff that i do isn't so much reactive the stuff that i do as a freelancer myself i i sell true life that stands on its own two feet regardless of what what is going on in the news although you know there have been times when it's been pegged on a on a recent study or some new research or a statistic that kind of inspires yeah. my own me doing my own little conference with myself to come up with my features list for a particular week. So you um, you specialise in real life and on those mm. digital platforms, is the format more flexible or do you know, can you only pitch to the editors who deal with real life or is it that commissioning editors, they're commissioning real life and op-eds and interviews and they all mix it up? I think it's not as formulaic actually and I think that um, digital desks are a bit more fluid and you can 
I mean, for me personally, as a freelancer, I've always worked with editors I really like. So even if it's not for their desk, I will still contact them and say, you know, this is what I've got. Does this work for you or is it better place somewhere else? And they might direct me to the right desk. But typically I will work with the editors that I really like and get on with. And, you know, that just gives you more of a shot of a getting it in, but also getting it in front of the person that needs to see it. For me, it's how I've always operated, though. I obviously recognize that there are many desks dealing with different kinds of features. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you source your stories as a freelancer that you're going to sell on to some of the more well-known titles and not your own Lacuna Voices. Um, I have always operated in a dream list kind of way. So I make my wish list of stories that I want. And then I think, where can I go and find that story? That's one way that I do it. Um, And it works because it just kind of gets your brain moving in the right direction and thinking about where you might find it, be it on social media or a forum or a charity or a friend of a friend. The other stories kind of come to me via PRs. They might send me a press release and I'll ask them something quite specific or tell them what I want exactly. Or, you know, there'll be a, a press release that comes to me about a new bit of research and I'll ask them for a very specific type of case study. So I'll build on that press release and get what I think will be sellable for a national and you have your own platform, don't you, called V Features that people can pitch their real life stories to? Yeah, so if VT Features, they can go onto the website and they can see my portfolio, the type of stuff I work on, learn a bit more about me as a journalist. And if they decide that they'd like to sell their story through me, then they can contact me there. Um, although I have to say in the last two years, the way that social media has it's just kind of snowballed and you know everything is done by social media nowadays loads of people contact me via my vt features page on instagram or um twitter so yeah people can contact me too and i'll tell them quite quickly whether i think it's something i can place for them or not that's quite a genius way of being a freelance journalist and collating stories it's almost like your own mini agency isn't it <laughs> well it is yeah i think as a freelance true life journalist that is what you are you are a mini southwest news you find stories you sell them you come up with ideas and fill the case studies or i trawl through social media looking for posts that i think give me a good story and I, I I dig into it and contact the person. So social media, I think, is brilliant mm-hmm. for this. Now, you mentioned that a lot of PRs pitch to you and they send you a press release. So just tell me a little bit about, because there's lots of PRs who listen to this. Yeah. How can you use PR content? What is the most likely way that a pitch from a PR is going to materialize into publicity? Um, for me, I like, I always work on an exclusive basis. I, I won't do you know, hanging about waiting to see if the PR is going to give it to me or someone else. I build relationships with PRs and they bring me stuff exclusively. So exclusivity for me is really important. So if you send me a case study and it's gone to every national news desk, it's no good for me. It's already gone to the news desk. So case studies are kind of my bread and butter. So it's all well and good giving me something really interesting in a press release, but I'm not a news reporter. I'm a feature writer. So I need a story, a true life story that could fill a page or two in a, in a magazine or newspaper. The other things that might work for me, and this is often what I've had, is there's um, a new bit of research, a bit of medical research. There was one that I had a splash with. Um, it came from a very small charity or looking at premature birth. And they sent, me a, they sent me just a press release about their study, how it was going, what they were finding. And I said to them, I want a mum who's had success having a baby through your study. Can you help me? And they gave me three excellent case studies. And it was, it was a splash. Mm, okay so press releases like just a bit pointless for for you 
they're not pointless. They just have to have the right content. So if it's something that's an all rounder for a news desk, it's not going to help me as a freelancer. And often I, I use things like response source to send out re- very specific requests to the PRs. So that's actually how I have a more beneficial yeah. relationship yeah. with PRs when I'm actually seeking a very specific type of expert or case study. Which is a nice segue into uh, pitching advice, um, which is the most valuable bit of this podcast, according to our listeners. What are your pitching niggles, either from freelancers or from PRs or from members of the public? Not telling me if it's gone somewhere else. So, you know, you've you've done a long pitch. And, you know, I think a lot of commissioning editors, myself included most of the time, we want short pitches, succinct pitches. I'm not opposed to a longer pitch because it might actually give me you know something that they've focused on as as the main bit of their pitch is not what I want but something further down in their pitch sparks an idea and we develop it but for me making sure that if it's gone all round or it's already been somewhere you make that very clear at the top because right away Mm -hmm. I'll say no if I don't want it being clear if you want to be anonymous being clear if pictures are not available for me I always want to see the pictures so send me all the pictures when you pitch me you know do it as a we transfer or as an attachment I don't really care how you send it as long as I get to see the images because I don't know if you've seen the layout of Lacuna Voices say but it's quite visual so it's it's clean but the pictures are quite vibrant so I want to see what pictures are available um, and I guess reading the publication, so whether it's me as a commissioning editor or someone else on a national desk, if you don't read that title, you won't understand what they're looking for and you won't be aware of what they've run recently, they've published recently. So if you're pitching something on working from home, whatever it is, and they've already done a series on it, then they're not going to commission it again. So I think being aware of what they've run recently and the type of features. And have you got any um, examples of particularly good or particularly terrible or even funny pitches the thing that I <laughs> I kind of gets my back up a little bit is when people send me a pitch that they've clearly intended for someone else so they've still got <laughs> the wrong commissioning editor's name they've still they've got the wrong title on the on the pitch and you know in that scenario I'm very tempted yeah. to just delete it because I just think if you've not even taken the time to get that right how much care is going to go into the feature itself or you know the thing that I don't like is when people send me the whole feature oh. Don't force me to read three and a half thousand words. I don't. I don't want to read three and a half thousand words. I just want to read what yeah. the pitch is. Because <laughs> I know on Twitter, which is the reason that I was alerted to to you and what you do, I noted that you made a tweet about how commissioning editors should always reply to every pitch. So you make yeah. that your you make that your remit. Yeah, I do try and get back to every single person, unless, like I said, you know, it's not even meant for me in the first place, and I, I, I probably wouldn't reply to that. But otherwise, yes, I do. Even if it's just to come back and say, I'm really sorry, but this isn't for me. And what I endeavour to do with every pitch that I get is if it's not for me, I try to give them a, a legitimate reason why. You know, there was somebody who pitched me a beauty piece yesterday, and I said, this is actually is a really good idea, but we don't feature beauty on Lacuna Voices. And also, you're going to run into trouble trying to place this because it's going to knock off a load of advertisers. So on a national title that publishes adverts from big beauty brands, you know, this is going to be editorially a bit objectionable for them like if they're going to hack off a load of advertisers you might find trouble placing it but you could flag that in your pitch so I gave them a bit of advice about just like you know what are the pitfalls and I also always try to give them an idea of where I would pitch that wow if only commissioning editors did that the thing is I wonder if they actually appreciate that and learn from it Um, because I used to try and do that a little bit as a freelance journalist when PRs pitched to me I'd 
try and give them like one or two lines of feedback and say like, look, if you're pitching a review, yeah. you need to pitch to a product page. I'm a freelance journalist. I don't do reviews. I do features. Yes, then exactly. I'd get, two weeks yeah. later, I'd get a pitch by the same PR. So whether they actually took on board that advice, I don't know. I know. I found that the, the freelance journalists are really receptive and grateful for that kind of feedback because I think so often when you pitch, you get ignored. Mm. And that is, I think, just a terrible part of this industry, which personally I don't understand I've worked on a desk that had 300 emails a day and I replied to every single one so I don't I don't think there's an excuse for it I think people are pushed for time yes but it takes you three seconds to say not for me Mm -hmm. just that not for me will will mean for that freelancer they can close the door on that commissioning editor and that pitch and move on to the next one instead of thinking I'll just give them another day I'll give them to a conference on on Saturday on, on Friday I'll I'll give them another week and then I'll chase them up what you're doing is just freeing them yeah. from your from your no. Like, let them move yeah. on. Let them get on to the next one. On that note, why do you think the media industry particularly is so bad at replying uh, more than any other industry? Because there's lots of industries where people pick, you know, founders pitch for investment. Hmm. People pitch for business all the time. But there's just this, this reputation that journalists are aloof and don't reply to things. I think personally, people on national desks give themselves the right to ignore people because they're busy. But you know what? Everyone's busy. And there are many commissioning editors out there who do not ignore people. I think part of your role as a commissioning editor is to build relationships so that next time a particular freelancer has a cracking story, they come to you. Otherwise, you know, you're going to lose out if you don't reply to those emails and you're not nice to people and you don't build a rapport with them. You will ultimately lose out and I don't think being busy is an excuse it's your job as a commissioning editor to to filter stories and like I said a simple no takes no time at all and I don't know I just feel really strongly about this because I've been in that position you know working on a title that had you know between 12 and 20 real life features a week hundreds of emails a day managing the story flow allocating copy doing still sometimes interviews and writing myself even I don't know yeah. I just feel that it's it's an archaic practice where editors give themselves the right to be rude to people and it's yeah. not okay are there any other trends that you've spotted um in the media now either in the way that things are commissioned in the way that the news cycle works or just in the way that things are pitched in general I don't know. I'm not seeing much change on that front other than titles trying to be more inclusive now. They're trying to be more diverse. They're trying to be more inclusive. And it's been a long time coming. Like that was actually one of the reasons I set up Lacuna Voices in the first place. I felt that loads of groups were underrepresented. Um, You know, why was there never a black woman on the front of a women's magazine? You know, why was it such a rare incidence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, It shouldn't be the case. That's changing. Diversity is finally kind of moving towards where it should be but otherwise I think it's still the same old game (laughs) I do I think budgets are going down perpetually going down constantly and COVID has accelerated that I think there's a push now towards digital even more than it was before I think it's gonna COVID Mm -hmm. is gonna help kill off more magazines well it already has hasn't it there's already been quite a lot of the freebie ones that are handed out in city centers have already gone because there's no one in centers I mean, you know, a True Life mag in Australia went, I think it was about a title, I can't remember which one, but that went quite shortly after COVID started. And it's just going to, True Life is a contracting print medium, I think. It's all moving online, which is why I think Lacuna is probably 
faring quite well with getting increasing traffic. So people still want True Life. They just don't want to buy a magazine to read it. And on that note, uh, is there still money in True Life? Are the publications still paying? I think so. I think if your story is good, you'll get good money for it. But good money now versus good money 10 years ago when I was on a news agency is very different. Mm -hmm. Very different. You know, that was a time when we'd get paid, you know, 40k for a story. You don't see that kind of stuff anymore for True Life, you know. It's really rare now. I'm sure it still happens, but it's got to be a real corker. Punter van der Hayden, thanks so much for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching.